Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. All right, wow, what a week, what a weekend. Thanks for being here. This is Wiggins America. My name is Ryan Wiggins. We have the full cast in here momentarily. Really looking forward to that. Normally in the break right after this one, we would do a scripted bit. So we we do these scripts and things. But this week, I just don't know if we're going to do it because the, it seems like we should focus on this kind of heavy topic. We'll see. Maybe uh, you know, I, maybe it'll feel different than I'm expecting. But, of course, the lead story of the week is Russia and Ukraine. So we're going to be doing that all morning. A couple different angles on this. I'm going to have a guy that I know very, very well who is a pastor in Ukraine right outside of Kiev, near Chernobyl, actually, on the show this morning. Is Ukraine going to fight, or are they going to realize that they can't win and kind of back down? Are we talking about a months-long guerrilla war here, or are we talking about something that's not going to last very long? I want to know that from somebody who knows Ukraine very, very well. He'll be on the show this morning at the end of this hour. Again, full crew in in the uh, break right after this one, segment right after this one, and then back in the second hour, too, to discuss all things Ukraine. What should our response be? What shouldn't it be? And a super interesting guy in the second hour named Ryan Kugler He's got the only known footage of the show Cheers that has never been seen. So that we're talking about Ted Danson, Woody Harrelson, Kirstie Alley, the cast of the show. He shot an independent movie with them, I think, on the set of Cheers when it was happening. Weird story. He was a kid when he did it, and he's never shown it to anybody. We're going to talk to him in the second hour. But for now... This week, of course, the biggest story, again, Ukraine and Russia, and specifically, what should our response be? On Thursday, President Biden came out and gave the nation and thereby the world the lowdown on what you what the United States was going to do, what the White House is going to do about it. I, I wrote down the bullet points. I'm going to go through them really quick because... In the shuffle of all this, you may not have heard that this is what you're going to do because they they grab the news will grab a couple of them and they'll focus on those. But here's the whole list as far as things that are tangible. You know, he says a lot of things that are just sort of we're going to be tough, but there are tangible things that he said in that speech that they will, as far as I know, follow through with. 
Want to know your opinion on those things. That's why I said contact me on Twitter or whatever. First of all, new new sanctions on all exports to Russia. So not just things coming from Russia, but things going into Russia will now be sanctioned and probably cut off almost entirely. Because the whole goal of these things is to make Russia into a pariah state. A a nation that nobody will touch. We'll get to that. 27 member nations are joining in. That's not just NATO. That's countries like New Zealand, specifically, that he mentioned. Uh, He also said dollars, pounds, euros will be cut off from Russian banks. He also mentioned yen. So Japan involved in that, too. So a, a lot of anybody who's an ally or even is considered close to an ally is in on this with the United States. I would have to think that that's a good thing. Uh, We are cutting off Russia's largest bank, and by now, he said this on Thursday, but by now, I expect that we have cut off four more. So not only the biggest bank, but the four other biggest banks in Russia have been completely cut off from international uh, banking and monetary funds. The ruble has dropped like crazy. I think it's the lowest it's been maybe in our lifetime. So they got to be feeling the hurt. I don't know how quickly they're going to feel it. But that happened and is still low. Uh, no U.S. or EU investors, period. You, you can If you want to invest in Russia right now, like Trump had in the past, you know, he put a hotel there. You can't do that. It's all cut off. Uh, now, that's the financial aspect of this thing. And you also have the fact that he said that our forces will not engage in conflict. However, they will be drawn up in the NATO nations of Eastern Europe. So not we, we're not going into Ukraine. So that's off the table. That's not going to happen. We don't have to talk about that. That's good, in my opinion. But we will be drawing up forces in Eastern Europe, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. Strategic reserves of oil are going to be tapped into. He talked a lot about energy and all the... He talked and talked and talked about how important energy is to him because he knows it. It's people are pissed that gas prices are so high and our ga- our, uh, our heating prices are so high this winter. So he talked about it a lot. Really, all he said was, "We're going to try to tap into the strategic reserves." Okay, great, thanks, man. Thanks for the band aid. Um, concern that Russia will respond with cyber attacks was also in there. And then we could, too. We could re- we could reverse that and cyber attack them. We could shut down a lot of things. We're going to talk about that with the whole crew coming in here next on Wiggins America, specifically that question, because I think it's interesting. Should we respond in that way? Should we use our technical prowess to basically shut them down? We could do it. We could do it in phases. We could do part of it. We could do not do part of it. That's interesting to me. Let's talk about it next with the whole cast here on Wiggins America Next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Wiggins America, time to get the whole cast in here. We've got Trisha, we've got Old Roy. Is there anything, I'm going to ask you this, knowing the answer, is there anything more important than Ukraine this week? Because this is normally where we do what's important from the week. No, right? No. Like, no. No. I, that's what I figured. No. So 
I, you know, wanted to make sure, but I did bring questions just because I thought, you know, we've we've talked this to death for three days now. And that's not to say it's all about us. It's just what else is there to say other than this is bad. And, you know, we're going to do some interviews because I want to talk about what Russia is, is, why are they doing this? Not just Putin. You know, what do the people of Russia think about this? And a good friend of mine that I know from college, actually, and, and even before that, uh, he spent some time in Ukraine. So I'm going to have him on this show and ask him just what is Ukraine going to do about this? Are they going to allow this to happen or are they going to fight? Really don't know the answer to that question. We'll find out. But for you guys right now, I saw this article and I'm going to pull it up here uh, just because it's <laughs> no idea if it's true or not. But it got me thinking, what should our response be? And Roy, you said yesterday you were just kind of, you know, I don't know, questioning what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. I get that. But do you think there's anything more to this? I mean, it's this isn't one of those that it seems like there's a lot of layers to. It seems like Russia bad, Russia doing bad thing. How do we respond? I, I don't know. I, I think Russia, yeah, Russia's doing what Russia does. Um but the the coverage of it for me, my instinctive reaction when it all sort of broke um, was this just doesn't smell right. It's kind of the same feeling I had election night, same feeling with the Jesse Smollett but stuff. But why? I, I've seen stuff too. But are you talking about people talking about there's a conspiracy afoot here? I mean, what is it? I, I think it's just trying to blow it out of proportion not that it's not bad. I mean, probably a better example would be like the January 6th stuff. Yes, something happened and it wasn't good, but it wasn't the end of democracy. It wasn't an insurrection. And I think there's there's political motivation to make this thing sound different than what it actually is. Um, and I, that, I that's just the sense that I have. That it, I'm not saying it's not bad, it's not real, but I, I think there's there's... There's reasons, political reasons, why one side or the other is is using a lot of hyperbole and 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 exaggerating aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's naive to think there aren't politics at play in our response to this thing. So I agree with you on that, but I also I just don't think there's a whole lot more to it other than. As far as which side you're on, you know, I mean, I don't think there's like, oh, we should be questioning who is saying what here. It just it seems like this is a sovereign nation being invaded. And I'm, I don't. Are you old enough to remember Gulf War? Mm -mm. No, you were what? Probably like a couple years old at the time or something. Something like that. <laughs> Hopefully I was here. I don't remember. But you were. What I mean, it was, year? It, this was 91. Yeah, was yeah. I was three. Early 90s. So I, yeah. was, I was probably like seven or eight. And I, I do remember it. And this, as far as just emotional goes, this felt like that to me. Something's happening somewhere else in the world. I have no idea what it is, especially seven years old or whatever. Uh, or eight or nine. I can't remember. What, how, what am I? I'm 40. So yep. that was. Dang, you're old. I would have been 10. We there. work in radio. We can't do math. We can't, mm -mm. especially quickly. So I, I remember enough to think this is something that everybody's making into a big deal. And I still have a calendar from that year. I don't know why, because this was, <clears throat> you know, I'm 10 years old. I would write on the calendar significant things that happened to me, almost like a diary. 
I didn't know this yeah. was a diary, but that's mm-hmm. what I was doing. I was writing like, oh, went with John to a soccer game today, you know. And I kept that calendar because the only year I ever did that. <laughs> and that year was the year we – and I just wrote on there, we attacked a Middle East nation on there. And I remember thinking as I was writing it, I don't really know that this is significant, but everybody's telling me that it is. And so I feel like I need to write it on my calendar like something happened and ultimately, that's the only thing that even matters. I look back over the calendar. I'm like, I don't even remember who John was, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> but I felt that way again as a 40-year-old man, this happening, because it doesn't directly impact us. We're still sitting in an air-conditioned, heated studio. You know, we're, bombs aren't going off outside of our door. Yet, it feels like everybody's going, oh, this is a big deal. You know what I mean? I do. I got that feeling when the news broke the other night. To Roy, to your point, I had this I had a conversation earlier with somebody about um, or earlier this week with someone about the media coverage of it and how that's impacting our feelings on it mm-hmm. is is the media to some extent overblowing the <coughs> happenings over there. It how how much how much of that is being leveraged, not politically, but by the media and is that impacting our feelings of the gravity of the situation, basically? I don't know the answer to that. It seems like what we're going to like ultimately have to think about going forward is the economic impacts on mm-hmm. our our own Especially like, energy, energy, yeah. gas. Like, what does that mean? And emboldening of bad guys is just bad, right? I mean, since you mentioned it, do, does it scare you that we also could see Taiwan invaded soon? Because they're ramping up that, too, right now. It's one of those things where it feels like it's enough far away that I can't personally be scared, scared. But, yes, if I take a step back, I understand it's a, it's that feeling you were just talking about, the gravity of the situation. And, yeah, like more bad guys getting wins in their book is not a good thing for the good guys. Right, right. And th- that's, I think, more what scares me than, <clears throat> excuse me, with energy is going to go up. I think, you know, I mean, unless it, we pull off some sort of... Could it go up any higher, We pull honestly. off some sort of weird miracle and uh, tap all of the strategic reserves of the entire world, which I don't even know if that's a good move. But then, and then if it's Taiwan, used cars going even higher than they are now. So it's all... Economically, we're going to be impacted by these things. But generally speaking... An average person. Now, if you're tuning into our show, you're tuning into talk radio, you're engaged. You know what's going on. But a lot of people, they know, okay, this thing's happening, but that's about all that. They don't know the mm-hmm. who's pulling the string, who's who's saying what, what side am I on. They know it's happening. And especially with foreign policy issues, it's harder to take a side. You just go, I'm an American. I don't want bad things to happen to other people in sovereign nations. But it does feel like chaos. It just feels chaotic. Well, and even I it from everything I've heard and read so far, it seems like the likelihood of Putin moving into a NATO nation is low. But even the fact that if he does that, we are obligated to act is scary. I, I mean, it's that's a real that, war for us at that point. Yeah, it's scary that that is even on the table as a discussion. Do, do you th- think? Yeah, do you think that'll happen though? Well, let me ask you this because and there's there's a an age difference here. Half of my life, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. You right. know, that was sure. Russia was when it was the Soviet Union was much bigger than it is now. Putin has said he's just trying to re 
build what was the original Soviet Union. I mean, the map over there has changed five times in my mm-hmm. lifetime. And so for me, even having grown up with Russia is that, you know, the Cold War was a big deal and Russia was the big enemy. I don't feel as concerned. I don't I don't want to sound like I'm no, you I know, think minimizing, valid. but it, it the Taiwan thing scares me. More than Ukraine? More than Ukraine. Because China scares you more than Russia? That's part of it. And that's, and that's a, I mean, that's really stepping over. You know, whatever happens with, with Eastern Europe and Asia, um, as far as Russia and the Soviet Union is concerned, has, has been changing constantly throughout modern history. But China going in and taking Taiwan that's that seems like a bigger a bigger step yeah. a bigger issue i mean that's that's a good point that this was within our lifetimes part of russia in the past not and i'm a, i i think i'm a little more hardline on this than you probably are because i am like no we need to do everything possible to stop this from happening because i think in in conversations i've had with my friend who we're going to talk to later in the show james amos um we actually talked to him real quick here i didn't realize how close that was already but um he, the the people of Ukraine, according to him, we'll get into this in a minute. They they're much more free than Russia is, and that that was deliberate, and they don't want to go back, as according to him. Now I don't know if that is a reflection of the entire country or just the pockets of people he knows, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. But according to him, from conversations in the past, he's like, no man, this is they they want freedom. And we're allowing authoritarians to take over a free nation. And I'm like, man, as an American, as a democratic, free love, freedom-loving American, I just want to see more freedom in the world. And so part of this, and this is kind of, I, I, I hinted at this article that I wanted to get to. This is from some paper called the Insider Paper. So I, I don't know if I trust this. This is definitely internet rumor territory, but still worthy of discussion just because I'm like, you know what? That doesn't sound way off base. So I'll just read it to you. I want to get you guys' reaction. It says, Biden has been presented with options for massive cyber attacks against Russia, including disrupting the internet across Russia, shutting off power and stopping trains in their tracks. And they cite NBC News. I haven't seen NBC News say that. But to me, just reading that, I'm like, I would doubt that we wouldn't have that capability. Should we start really interfering in Russia, shutting down their internet, shutting down their trains, whatever we can do? Russia, Roy is shaking his head, so I think where I know where you're going. I don't, I don't think that's the answer. Diplomacy is fine, but but trying to do things, you know, punishing Russia or or intervening militarily, um, no matter how much how many guns we throw at Ukraine, they can't beat Russia head to head in a war. Um, And Putin has already said, uh, he said pretty early on in this thing that anybody gets in the way, they're going to see a reaction that the earth has never seen. Mm -hmm. And I, I take him at his word. I don't think we need to start a world war three over this. Do you think it would though? If we start messing with it, what, what if it's us and NATO all doing it together, then what's he going to do? Attack everybody? What did Hitler do? Hitler took on the world. Yeah. Germany took on the world twice. You know, so you you can't you can't tell what 
what a person like that is going to be willing to do. But when they have nuclear weapons and they're, this was a pretty well orchestrated attack. So, you know, we've heard things that Russia is not, not up to, not up to snuff with us militarily. Well, it, it sounds like, and looks like they maybe are. So I, I wouldn't go into, you know, we're going to put sanctions on them because that's just going to hurt us and the rest of the world economically. To intervene militarily is going to initiate a bigger reaction than what than what I think we're ready for. Well, I, I just got done saying in the first segment, you know, I was reading through the bullet points from Biden's press conference on Thursday. He said we're not going to have any sort of troop presence there. So I don't think that's an issue. But what do you think? I mean, do you think, Tricia, we should do the things I was just listing if possible? Or do, do you even like the sanctions that we know we are doing right now? So from all I know, and I'm clearly not an expert on this, the sanctions seem like too little too late, but a necessary evil. Uh, I don't like this idea of cyber warfare and cyber messing with people, but it, it, it raises an interesting point because, you know, other people are doing it to us. And at some at some point, do you have to meet the bad guys? I know I keep saying that a lot, but on their level and play the game with them. Because Russia's not going to hold back on coming at us in a in any kind of like cyber like hacking yeah. and missions and things like that. Do you? Because I'm with you, Roy. I I would prefer diplomacy. But is that an option? Is it's that a, option going to be taken away? That's from already us? been done. I is mean, diplomacy didn't work. The, the country's been invaded. Right. That's in the past now. Well, but what does that mean going forward? Do we? And I'm sure that there are are levels of our society and our government that are actively working on things like this and monitoring and testing our capabilities. But what does that mean? Like the future, we're living in such a crazy age where if you shut down people's access to their devices or their bank accounts or whatever it is, you could do so much damage to a country in so little time. And you know darn well and good that Russia and these evil powers are trying to do that and get into us and hurt us on that level. So, no, I don't, as like a good, decent person, I don't think we need to be in there like screwing up their stuff. But (coughs) at what point do you, you can't let people walk all over you either. So, yeah, I, I don't know. No, I don't think we should go like, cause chaos in a way that is um like like meeting them as far as being evil well i just think that we 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 wouldn't do this unprovoked i mean i technically they didn't attack us so you could make the argument that this would be unprovoked but i i think i disagree with both you guys on this i would like to see us do this stuff and here's the weird thing over the last decade I've become very much a non-interventionist. I don't want to get U.S. military involved in anything we don't have to. But this isn't the military. This is cyber warfare. This is the exact opposite of putting our people at risk. Now, you do run the risk, like you said, Roy, of escalating this thing where Putin gets mad and he just starts firing nukes. I I get that. But I also think we're so much more technologically advanced than them. We have a strong presence in Poland. I just don't think they would get much done. Not to us anyway. Now, Europe might have to really consider what are we going to do here, which is why I think you should involve NATO before we start really tampering with things. So let's say we could shut down their trains or something like that. That's pretty significant. That's a, that's a step that we haven't really seen taken 
Are you sure we're that much more technologically advanced, though? I think so. Because I don't want to. I would never want to be the one to fire the first shot. Yeah. If we didn't know we could win that fight, because we could, in in theory, do a lot of damage to and ourselves. And that's where, like, let's hear the thing. So. This is the part we normally do our scripted piece, but I, I feel like we should probably delay that in this show. So we'll do that at the end of the show this time. We still have our scripted piece. We're still going to do it, but right in the meat of this thing. And we got we to gotta finish this out because I got to talk to James Amos next, and I want to leave enough time because that's going to be very, very fascinating. Um, but with Biden, that's where you question the leadership. You question whether he's capable right now, I do anyway, of asking the hard questions of saying, well, we could do this, but where would it go? Because I do feel like even Barack Obama, certainly Trump, certainly George W. Bush, they would be able to ask those questions and say, if we do this, this is the probable response, this is the possible response. I just don't trust that Biden's there in many different ways. I mean, I don't think he's ever been there, but also you watch him give a speech, you don't think he's there. You know what I mean? Plus, he's he's compromised as far as Ukraine goes. I, that's a great point. And that's the that's yeah, a great point. That's another. So another who's going to take him seriously? You know what? What are his motives? Is he trying to protect Hunter? And that's and, I mean that's talked about so little, and we should be talking about that more. The fact that your family has been paid by the country we're protecting mm-hmm. that's a big deal. Now I don't know that that is going to affect whether we go to war or not. I hope it wouldn't, but it's there. It's very much there, and it does not get discussed. Well, and keep in mind, there's there's diplomacy, and then there's diplomacy. I mean, if, if the, the fighting in the Middle East has been going on forever, and Trump was able to make progress there diplomatically where other presidents in the past have not. So I don't, I don't know that it's fair to say we tried diplomacy in the Russia-Ukraine thing mm-hmm. to any real extent because— Biden or whoever's behind him had an agenda all along. If if someone Trump Trump came out and said that if if he was still president, Putin wouldn't have done this. Yeah, I believe him. And and so the right kind of diplomacy, even in a tense, already active situation, can be effective. Yeah, yeah. Good discussion. Uh, we'll come back. I promise we're going to lighten this thing up at the at the end of the next hour and quite a bit of the next hour, actually. We, ha- we have some really cool interviews. And James Amos, who was right there in Kiev, coming up next here on Wiggins America. So a friend of mine is on the phone with us. His name is James Amos. He lived in Ukraine. And I didn't know this, but I, I called him. I thought, well, he's my friend. He lived in Ukraine. We can get on the ground reporting. Well, at least how it was, the culture, the people, what's going to happen. You know, we don't know. As Westerners, I don't know what Ukraine is like. He does. He's here with us this morning, but he's apparently getting ready to do a TV hit. So he's not just my friend. He's a celebrity, and I didn't know that. And he is actually in Africa right now. Yeah. Today, uh, we live in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. I'm here training uh, Kenyans how to become missionaries. And the route that you got to Kenya went through Ukraine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, when we first left the United States, I'm a, I'm a pastor and a church planner, and when we first left the United States in 2019, we lived in Ukraine for almost all of, of 2019 uh, in the worker city for the uh, Chernobyl nuclear power plant. It's a city called uh, Slavutich. They built it after the accident for the workers. So, James, as we're all becoming much more familiar with the map of Ukraine, watching it on the news now, what part of, what, what you know, 
area of Ukraine is that? Yeah, so it's technically an enclave uh, that's part of the Kiev Oblast, the Kiev region, but it's, it feels like it's, it's about an hour and a half to the north in what you call uh, Chernihiv. So we were within a couple of miles of the Belarusian border. Okay, I was going to uh, say, you must have been yeah, pretty, pretty close to the border there because Kiev is pretty, pretty uh, you know, high up in the, in the map there. Um, so you were there yeah. for, what did you say, roughly six months to a year? Between that, yeah. For we, we, we were also briefly in Israel and Latvia, but we spent almost all of 2019 living in Ukraine. And we had been there before, and we have uh, relationships there, uh, people that we love and care about and are really worried about right now. So when you see President Biden coming out and speaking uh, about um, you know sanctions and things, and when you're watching this war break out, what is your initial reaction? I mean, what, what do you think about? Is it people you know? Is it the nation at large? What comes to mind? I mean, the biggest thing that's on my mind is just, you know, I have the, the advantage of it, it isn't a hypothetical place. I'm thinking about real people that I know and love and care about. I can see their faces. And this is really sad. These people, uh, many of them that are my age or older, they grew up in the Soviet Union, and they knew what it was like to be effectively occupied for three generations. And then they got freedom, and they had kids. And those kids grew up in a free Ukraine. And, you know, I, I have this visual idea in my head today of them all uh, being shackled again. And it really breaks my heart. And I know that they don't want it. James, what what's the difference for a, a citizen of Ukraine under a, a government like they have now under Zelensky at the moment? And what would be the difference between going back and being a part of Russia on a daily basis? Well, you know. Sure. I mean, I mean, the, the, this country, uh, Ukraine, officially had a revolution in 2014, and they they made the decision as a nation that they don't want to go back to looking to Russia to be the leader of their their life. Um, they they want to be with the West, and they, um, you know, they know what it is to not have freedom. They know what it is to not trust the simple word the government says. They know what it is to not have control of their lives. Like one example that comes to mind. You know, I was living in a nuclear city, so all the people that lived there, literally almost every person that lives there was moved there, not by their choice, by the Soviet Union to work in a nuclear power plant that exploded. And then after that, they still had to live there. They still had to stay there. And because of economic situations after the fall of the Soviet Union, that's all they own. Many of them still live there today. So they didn't make those choices. And they know what it's like to have people leading their lives, uh, and they don't, they don't want it. Speaking with James Amos, who is a pastor and a missionary, spent some time in Ukraine, good friend of mine. I, I feel weird introducing you because I usually am introducing guests that I don't know as well <laughs> who are experts, but you are indeed a good, good yeah. friend of mine. Um, <clears throat> so in, as you know the people of Ukraine better than most people I would talk to, which is why you're on the phone with me, what does an yeah. occupation look like? You know, this is now a war. Are we talking because we keep hearing yeah. that there are people in Ukraine who are Russian apologists? You know, they 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 actually kind of side with Russia. That would be more in the eastern part of Ukraine, I, I assume. But is a is an occupation yeah. of Ukraine even possible with the the mindset you just talked about of Ukrainians wanting to be separate? Yeah, I mean, I. I 
it is a complex situation. In the area that I lived in, it was mostly Russian-speaking peoples because that's, that's how they grew up. Um, but that does not mean that they were pro-Russia. I met a few people who were. They exist. Um, but uh, nobody wants to be attacked, that's for sure. And uh, you're basically, I think I hear you asking, are these people going to fight? And yeah. my, my gut answer is, yeah, I think most of them will fight. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how long that lasts. Um, the willingness to fight uh, diminishes as more and more of the people willing to fight die. I mean, I don't want to be graphic, but I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, um, these people were crushed. Uh, their, their ancestors, a few generations back, were crushed in the 20s and 30s, and they viewed themselves as essentially occupied for most of the 20th century. Hmm. And no, they, they, don't, they don't want to go back to that. Okay, well, um, you know, I want to ask you some questions. I, I'm, I'm trying to properly phrase them because sure. in the light of current events, you know, we've talked about this before just, you know, because we talk um, about your time in yeah. Ukraine. And you said something once that really stuck out to me, and I've remembered it even through, because this has probably been huh. two, three years ago you told me this, and it was maybe it was when you were in Ukraine. Yeah. That you said, you know what I'm finding here? Because you, you were working in churches, right? Mostly? Yeah, that's right. Evangelical churches. And, you know, evangelicals are only about 3% of the population of Ukraine. It's not only people I talk to, but that's who I had the deepest relationship with and still do. And But what you said was that because there's not a, a large contingency of, you know, as we would call them, evangelical Christians, there seemed to be a level of... I don't know, trust in hierarchy? Am I, am I misrepresenting what you said to me? Uh, that there was a trust in them? Yeah, that, that we as Westerners, especially United States citizens, we think very individualistically mm-hmm. about life and about even our relationship with God, but that you were talking about the church there, and this seemed to be exemplary yeah. of the population, that they were very willing to sort of look to a, a leader, an earthly leader, and, and it was a little bit foreign to you as a Westerner. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I think that the culture is, is significantly different in many ways. And uh, you feel that immediately when you're there. Uh, there but yeah, I guess I don't remember, unfortunately, exactly the, <laughs> the conversation that you and I had on that point. I'm sorry that I don't. No, I mean, but, it, it's um, just I'm really asking the larger that, question about, you know, are, are Ukrainians— independent-minded in the same way that a, that a United States citizen would be, that we, like the rugged individualist mindset? I, I think the basic answer to that is um, that the younger generations are and the older generations are not as much. Uh, and there's a, there's a, a real shift there. But I, my, my sense about it is, I mean, we, I talk to many people about the Soviet era. I talk to many people about the Maidan revolution. I wanted to know what they think, and they were willing to talk to me. And the consistent message that I got from people is um, our country has made a choice that we want to look west. We do not want to look north and east, and we have made our decision. And, you know, they, it's, it's about personal freedom. So in that sense, there, there, uh, there is an independent spirit. Yeah. So this is a this is a tough question to answer because I, you won't know the answer. But what happens now? I mean, are we talking sure. about like guerrilla warfare? You've been oh, on the ground. Man. What does it look like? I I 
I think guerrilla warfare will certainly happen on some level. I don't know how long it'll it'll last. I I, I want to say two things about that. One is I'm I'm very saddened by this. I I think that they'll lose, and I think that they will be occupied because Soviet troops going into that country are not going to leave. And I'm very saddened for my my friends and the people that I know and care about. Um, And I want to say on on top of that, as hopeless as it is, and I've I've been very sad today, um, I still believe that Jesus is king. I believe that he rules nations and he can overcome every situation. Uh, And I think that's what it was amazing to everyone what happened in 1991. And those things can happen again. Um, James, but, there's uh, there's a sense. Yeah, I'm sorry with our lag. I, I don't mean to cut you off there, but um, with it's there's okay. a sense in the United States, at least I'm sensing from people I've talked to. You know, we've been on the radio this week talking about it. There's a sense of not hopelessness, but almost like aimlessness. As U.S. citizens, we know this is kind of a big deal. It's something we don't like. Everybody's kind of heavy over it, but we don't know what to do about it. As a as a pastor, as a person yeah. who lived in Ukraine. What can we be praying? What can we be praying for Ukraine right now? Yeah, I think you want to pray for people that they will not lose their hope in the Lord Jesus uh, to intervene and take care of things, and that He will, God will strengthen people in a very, very sad, difficult time. I know a lot of men are kissing their kids goodbye and going uh, off to potentially fight right now. And we, we're praying for peace, and we're also praying that God help each individual, individual person to keep trusting him. And, uh, yeah, we're just praying that um, God do things that human beings cannot do, because this is a very difficult situation. James, Amos, thank you very much for your time. I, I appreciate it, and I, I hate to have to catch up to you, with you in, in such a weird circumstance, but I do appreciate you. Hey. Uh, Ryan, you're uh, somebody I respect as much as anybody in the world. I love and care about you, and it's my joy to get to catch up with you briefly today, even though it's under hard circumstances. Thanks for the phone call, man. All right, brother. Let's stay in touch. Get more at 971talk.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.